On today's episode of Locked On Suns, why the Jalen Brown contract, the richest in NBA history, shows us other teams might just be catching up to the Suns' salary explosion. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Wednesday. It is great to be here with all of you. We are free and available everywhere, so if it is your first time finding the show, go ahead and hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Suns. Get the show in your feed every Monday through Friday throughout the offseason and beyond. You can also head over to the YouTube comment section. We are growing a nice little subscriber base of uh, nearly 6,000. We're getting there slowly but surely. Drop a comment with your thoughts on the Suns' biggest overperformer in this coming season. We will get to the rest of your great mailbag questions. There was just too much. It's an overflow uh, later on in the show. But first, I want to start with the Jalen Brown contract and what it tells us about the Suns. And I promise this is not some uh, obnoxious way of shoehorning the NBA news of the day into this Suns podcast. That is a trick as old as time. If you like basketball content, no doubt you, uh, you know that trick already. But it is real. It is genuine. And I knew it was coming. And so I'm, I'm actually excited to do this show. Um, this is also not me caping for the Suns or trying to uh, overlook the significant and real salary concerns that the Suns are facing. What I will say, what I will start with, what I will center this whole segment around, okay, is the fact that the Suns have become the poster child for something that is not just a Suns issue, all right? And you know, we can look back at the Kevin Durant trade and say the Suns were in some ways blindsided by the rules changing, the, the ground shifting right out from underneath of them. They go make this home run move to go and get one of the greatest players to ever put on an NBA uniform in KD. And then the whole collective bargain, bargaining agreement shifts again the ground underneath them. But other teams were already on this pathway and other teams will find themselves on this pathway in the coming seasons and again it doesn't need to look any further than the Boston Celtics and Jalen Brown and this new contract which will pay him 304 million dollars over five years he has one year left on the contract that he's currently on so really it takes you to about 333 million over the next six seasons all Together. This is something we thought would happen. This is something that a lot of reporters had been indicating. Don't worry, don't worry. It's not. Um, there's no reason to panic. And here we are, and he has signed the deal. From a salary standpoint, and to get us into Suns territory here, $17 million now that, that the Celtics are over the tax for next season already, okay? Because of this contract, because that is when the, the mega salary kicks in. That is when the, the actual extension he just signed kicks in. They already gave Chris Tapps Porzingis an extension for two years and $60 million um, beyond this season. So he will be under contract that year. Uh, next offseason, Tatum will be eligible for an extension, and then you can 
cap kick that even further along. But really, even just looking next year, you're talking about $17 million over the tax already. And that's with less than 10 players on the roster, fewer than 10 players on the roster. There's all these options and guarantees and everything that can make it change, but that's what you're looking at. I'll get to the Suns numbers in a second, but let's go through some of the other rosters and and their tax implications first. All right. So the Warriors, right? One of the bigger moves of the offseason, even though a player did not change teams, was Draymond Green returning there. That put their tax bill in addition to, you know, the Chris Paul trade to maintain a high salary number when you sent Jordan Poole out, as well as um, they didn't get rid of anybody, right? So they're at $41 million over the tax as a result of all of that this season. Next year, it's a little flimsy because we just don't know what their roster will look like. Chris Paul is non-guaranteed. Clay Thompson is up for a new contract. And we don't know what that all will, will turn into. We also don't know about extensions for some of the young guys or restricted free agency, et cetera, et cetera. But you're talking about, again, $41 million this year and likely to be close to that. If not, there's probably a world where it's even more next year. If they were to keep Clay, if they were to either keep Chris Paul or trade him for somebody who makes a similar salary, um, and then you know you're you're in for it. We'll see what happens with the young guys, but you you're talking about a Warriors team with no real end in sight until maybe Steph Curry's contract is up. Although they will not want to lose him either, so that is another team. The Clippers, twenty nine million dollars over the tax this year, and only seventeen million away from being into the tax next season before the Harden deal has even happened. And that is with very few players on the roster because of the gargantuan numbers of Kawhi Leonard and of Paul George. And then presumably whatever new contract they would likely agree to with Harden next summer when he becomes a free agent, they can't extend him for rules that aren't worth explaining here. But if you're talking about those two guys opting into the final years of their deal, Harden getting a new contract, you're hitting close to the tax with just those three guys not to mention the Terrence Manns and everybody else. Last but not least, the Milwaukee Bucks. They are already $4 million over the tax for next year as well, not to mention a significant bill this year. But next year, they only have seven or eight players on the roster, and that is assuming that Drew Holiday opts into the final year of his deal. They just got Middleton and Lopez back on big money numbers for for those the for that season. The 24-25 season is what I'm talking about. And uh Giannis, of course, on the biggest of big contracts. So you're talking about filling out a roster. Even if you just go with minimums, you're talking about, you know seven additional minimum players for about two million apiece, and you're looking at a nearly $20 million tax bill right up against that second apron for the Milwaukee Bucks next year. The Clippers and Warriors already um, over the second apron this year. The Celtics likely to be at or above that in every year for the foreseeable future. And so that brings us to the Suns, right? They are $20 million, $21 million over the tax this year, which puts them right over that second apron. And doesn't yeah it, the spot track doesn't have all of the super tax and second apron stuff programmed in yet which is understandable 
But the Suns are going to be there. And next year, it's going to get even uglier when Devin Booker's extension kicks in. Yes, the one he signed last summer, one year ago, that extension still has not kicked in and still will not kick in until the 24-25 season that I've been referencing for these other teams. The caveat, though, with the Suns situation when they will be $39 million over the tax next year when Booker's contract kicks in is that that is assuming that a lot of these player options go the Suns' way. But honestly, even if some of them don't, these guys that are on two-year minimum deals with the player option, we've talked about that a lot, guys like Gordon, guys like Dave Bates-Diop, even if actually those guys opt out, you're probably talking about an even cheaper salary. So regardless, you're looking at 11-ish players on the roster to get to that $39 million number. So it's not going to go much higher than that, right? I mean, that still will probably be the biggest one of the of, in the league, but you're going to be right neck and neck with the Warriors. Even with Booker making a Supermax amount of money, even with Durant at the end of the, the mega deal that he signed, the extension that he signed with Brooklyn, and of course, Bradley Beal's, you know, gargantuan contract back in Washington, another Supermax, right? So that's my point. The Jalen Brown contract shows us what's coming. Another J on their team will get one of these deals in the not-too-distant future. That is Jason Tatum. Uh, Andrew Wiggins may be for in for something fairly significant in the not-too-distant future. Steph Curry, whenever he extends, if we're talking about these types of players, both George and Leonard, that is going to start. We might get extensions for those guys before the season even starts and have an even clearer picture of their significant tax burden. The Suns are the poster child of this phenomenon because they did it after the rules were already known. And so it felt crazy. It felt out of this world. Other teams are going to follow suit. The CBA is incredibly punishing. Teams will try to avoid that second apron at all costs. But in some cases, it's just going to be worth it to retain the talent you already have, to acquire players who are already great, and pursue a championship. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think the Suns are some sort of outrageous exception here and some sort of um, picture of what to not do, right? Some sort of warning signal to the league. I think that they will soon be joined by a lot of other teams with the same exact perspective, which is we have a chance Let's go get it. More mailbag questions to come. You guys kept putting them at, in Reddit, and uh, I loved a lot of them, so I'm going to dive in, starting with my predictions for the standings throughout the NBA. Yes, get excited. We're there. We're doing July content. All right, let's get into it next. First, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. I've told you guys before, I'm even wearing a baseball shirt today. I'm in, I am in on this baseball season and I love betting baseball. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. Uh, you can do the first five innings stuff, which is awesome because you're just using starting pitchers. You're not worrying about, like if you're a Diamondbacks fan, you know all about this, the bullpen meltdowns and everything else. You're able to just say, okay, starting pitcher versus starting pitcher, lineup versus lineup. What do I think is going to happen? It's all great stuff. All on an app that's super safe, secure, and super easy to use at FanDuel. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today. 
Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Keeping it rolling. My shirt matched that FanDuel graphic on the YouTube screen, so you're welcome for that as well. Baseball shirt matches the graphic. It's like I planned it, even though I didn't. Question from Croy Gate. I, I, I have a feeling this must be somebody's name backwards or something. Gaskiach? Whatever. We're going to blow past the name. At the conclusion of the regular season, what will the standings look like for the West and the East? I'm going to assume that the trades we think are going to happen do in fact happen. And, and I guess I have to clarify what I even mean when I say that. I don't think Pascal Siakam gets traded. I do think that uh, James Harden and Damian Lillard both get traded to the exact places we think they are going to get traded to. All right, so... That means James Harden will be a Clipper, and that means that Damian Lillard will be a member of the Miami Heat. So we're going to go West first because uh, that's what matters to us uh, here in Phoenix. It's it's really a betting game these days of who's going to prioritize the regular season, who is going to stay healthy, who is not going to load manage. The, the safe bet the past few years would be to just bet the Memphis Grizzlies to finish the top of the West. They just have this John Morant situation, which continues to not have any closure on it. His best friend now has been, um, I believe, charged or, or been connected directly in a literal crime at this point. Not that that has anything to do with job, but tough situation. Not going to dive into that too much here on the Locked on Suns podcast. You can check out the folks in Memphis for that coverage, but I'm not going to pick them is the point. All right. I don't think I'm going to pick the Suns either. I don't think I'm going to pick the Nuggets either because I just don't feel as if either of those teams will be looking at the regular season as the most important thing. I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors for the one seed. Is that stupid? I think this Warriors team is is good. (laughs) There's your breaking news. I think this Warriors team is good. Um, I, I, I really think Chris Paul can be good for them. I believe in their young guys. I always have. I always will. I think that they have no choice but to play them this year. Kaminga Moody. I think that the Sharich, uh, addition is, is a great fit and somebody who can, you know, slide in to that Nemanja Bielitsa role that even you could call it the David West role. If you want to go further back, like I just, he will, he will really be a hub for them as a passer and a, and a shooter and everything. Smart player, physical player, screen setter, all of the things that they need and make them a little bit bigger as a team. So I'm going to go with them. I know that they're an old team. I know they're not necessarily going to prioritize the regular season, but when you're talking about, you know, 27-year-old Kevon Looney, 28-year-old Andrew Wiggins, Kaminga Moody, et, et cetera, like those guys I, I think are going to be there. So they're my number one. Number two, I think I will go with the Denver Nuggets. Number three, I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. That could easily be flipped. All of these teams are going to be very interchangeable. I mean, we're talking about a Western Conference last year that from one in Denver to, uh, I believe, nine in New Orleans was separated by 11 wins. So, you know, that's almost one win apart all the way from one to two, two to three, three to four, et cetera. So I'm not, this is, this is not a binding prediction, but I just think the Nuggets, 
I have questions about their championship upside by the amount that they're going to rely on youth in order to win. But in the regular season, I think that their system, their infrastructure, their star power is going to be enough to be a, a, a behemoth, a, a really tough force every night. And you're only talking about, you know, a 50 to 55 win team in order to get to number one in the West. I think we're going to be in a very parity type of situation once again. But I do have the Suns third. I have them moving up one spot from where they were last year. I think that their youth, their mid-prime veterans, to keep using the James Jones buzzword there, are right what you are, are exactly what you want to have. I think Devin Booker will push for an MVP trophy. I think that Kevin Durant will be even a full season of what we've seen the past few years, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 60, 65 games, whatever it ends up being for Durant, is going to be huge. He's an MVP candidate when he's on the floor. It's just a matter of health and, con- and consistency and everything for him. But even 60 games of Durant would would help improve where this team was last year. And they're deeper than they were. They're younger than they were. All the things are trending in the right direction. Number four, I do have the Los Angeles Clippers. Sorry, the Los Angeles Lakers. No, I'll go Clippers because I think the Harden thing in the regular season, Harden is fairly durable. He does not really get hurt. So those him plus the other two stars plus their depth I know they'll lose a little bit of that depth if they do make this hardened trade but they're still a pretty deep team they have young guys secretly that you that you don't necessarily realize are on their roster between Amir Coffey and uh, Brandon Boston and now Kobe Brown who they just drafted who can step in to bigger roles I just think they're the deeper uh, team the deeper more talented team Lakers all go number five I do like their team more as a championship pick, but in the regular season, the injuries, the age, all that stuff is obviously always a factor. Number six, I'm actually going to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I really like this team. I think the way that they've continued to build after the Gobert trade is awesome. I think the fact that it doesn't really matter for this exercise, but they are still below the tax is just absolutely insane. They retained Nas Reed. They got some uh, outside help here, and I just... I think in the regular season, they if they're healthy, if Towns doesn't miss half the year like he did, if Gobert doesn't miss a bunch of time, and Ant takes a, a continued step forward, like that team is, I know it's Minnesota, I know the Gobert trade made everybody laugh, but that's a real team, a deep team, a young team, and should win a lot of games. Seven, I will go New Orleans. Um, I, I'll go Dallas, actually, at seven. I think that they've made some improvements. I think Grant Williams is a, a really big addition. They might even have one more trade in them. Eight, I'll go New Orleans. Nine, I will go Oklahoma City. And 10, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go with the San Antonio Spurs. Victor Wembanyama, Devin Vassell, other guys on the team. No, I'm just kidding. Jeremy Sohan, uh, Keldon Johnson, those guys, uh, I think they're ready. I don't think they're ready. They're not going to win a play-in game. I'm not trying to say they'll, they'll really be a force next year, but you're picking a bunch among a bunch of mediocre options i'm not sure if utah is going to try to put all their chips in the middle of the table right away so i don't know if they're going to be pushing that hard for it even though they're the more talented team so i'm going to go san antonio just for fun it doesn't matter what i say it's july 25th we know nothing the eastern conference i'll go rapid fire i do think miami will be the first seed boston at two the sixers losing harden so i'm going to have the Cavs at three i'm going to have the bucks at four i'm going to have the sixers at five i'm going to have the Knicks at six, the Nets at seven, uh, sorry, the Hawks at seven, the Nets at eight, and then who cares? I don't think there's a lot much beyond that. Raptors, Bulls, Pacers, like whatever. doesn't matter so much here on a Suns podcast. And then I had another question of which teams in the Western Conference would be the most difficult matchup for the Suns in the playoffs as currently constructed and why? 
And I'll close out the show momentarily with the son who I think is most likely to exceed expectations. But I want to answer this question as well because it goes along with the standings. And this was, I don't remember the name of the person. I apologize. It was a second, it was a two-parter and I cut off the name. But who is the most difficult matchup for the Suns in the playoffs right now? It's a very good question. The, the obvious answer is the Denver Nuggets. I think they're the hardest matchup just in a vacuum of any team because they have Nikola Jokic, who I think is the, the most effective player in the NBA at creating a great possession every trip down the floor. I mean, Luka might be a close second. LeBron would have had that title for a very long time, but Jokic certainly has it now, and that's just an impossible thing to deal with. There's no team that's going to walk into a matchup against Denver and say, we'll keep them in check. No, you're not. You're not going to keep them in check. You're just going to hope you can match them, and you're going to hope that some of their weaknesses, like their youth and depth, are going to hurt them, but you're not going to feel good about it. So that would probably be my answer and I'm now realizing as I did the standings I left out both the Kings and the Grizzlies because I'm an idiot so whatever take that with a grain of salt maybe maybe kick those spurs out of there (laughs) maybe the Pelicans too uh maybe the Thunder we'll see um but the point being uh in terms of the matchups Denver is right there I will say that um to return to Minnesota and frankly, New Orleans, those are both teams that I think will get underrated in the regular season or heading into the season. Maybe I'll say in kind of the preview coverage, I would just circle them, whether it's regular season, some random night you end up with them on the schedule or, you know, they might end up as lower seeds. But if, if we're talking about I said the Suns are going to get the three seed, a three six matchup, for instance, those two teams are going to be big. They are going to be athletic and they are going to be young and 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 just aggressive and assertive and so you know a Suns team that yesterday in the beginning of this mailbag I said my biggest concern was front court size and rebounding as a byproduct of that you're talking about Townsend Gobert and Jaden McDaniels and Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed you're talking about in New Orleans I know the Zion thing is a big if at all times but let's just imagine that he has a more healthy year because I want to be optimistic and I love that dude Zion, Valanchunas, Ingram, you know, Nance, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, that's a bunch of sides at the forward and center spots with athleticism and youth, and and they play hard, as we know, from watching them um, play the Suns two years ago. So, like, those two teams, I would say, don't don't overlook, although obviously Jokic and the Nuggets are the real answer, so to speak. Let's close the show, which... Suns player is most likely to exceed their expected expected contributions. Who will be the most improved compared to last season, etc.? We will answer that question after one more quick break. Let's close out the show. Thank you for listening. Check out Locked On NBA every day throughout the offseason. They will keep you covered. Big picture around the league. Just a reminder to be checking that show out, but I will close us out here with a question or my answer to a question from Substantial Fold 592 No flair from him. No uh, Reddit flair, but that's okay. Again, to repeat the question, who on the Suns roster do you think is most likely to exceed their expected contributions to the team, as in not who will perform the best or be the most improved, but who will have the best performance relative to the general consensus view? I actually think this could be most improved because that would ha- help them outperform general consensus but I get your question I get your point and I think it's a good one and I want to answer it and 
here's the thing. I actually, uh, as much as I just uh, said I could see it being the most improved, I actually do, my, my mind goes exactly where your mind went, I think, substantial fold, which is to the superstars, frankly. It would be impossible for me to sit here and tell you that Devin Booker's going to outperform expectations because the last time we saw the man, he looked like freaking prime Kobe Bryant or, or, or Michael Jordan or whatever you want to say, right? He, he went toe-to-toe, if not outplayed Kawhi Leonard, even when Kawhi was healthy in those two games. He was the best player in the playoffs through most of the time he was in those playoffs. Game six, notwithstanding, was a clunker for him and for the team. So it's not going to be him, right? And I don't think really like Durant in his mid-30s, it would be pretty hard for him to top what we've already seen him do, whether that's the 2021 playoffs, the Warriors years, the MVP season early on. Like, we're not going to see a Durant year that is just some... Even if he looked great relative to his age and relative to expectations, it would just be, yep, that's KD, right? So it's not going to be him. I'm not going to do the DeAndre Ayton thing. Fool me once, whatever, you know, George Bush slash J. Cole once told us. I'm not doing that, okay? So... I'd be pleas- I'm happy to be pleasantly surprised by DeAndre Ayton. I have spoken about the impact that the coaching and some of the changes can have on him. There were a lot of questions on DeAndre Ayton in the Reddit mailbag uh, that I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna answer. I mean, I do think there's a human element element of this, as he elucidated upon in his quotes to the Bahama Bahamas outlet that interviewed him on camera last week. And I'm I'm not gonna keep piling on to the dude, and I'm also not gonna sit here and create false expectations and make make his struggles out into content all right i'm gonna analyze what's in front of me but I, i'm gonna leave the eight and thing alone a bit i think um until we get to preview coverage and, and we're back to really analyzing again what what there is to really analyze but the whole Willie won't he stuff i'm done with it so i'm not gonna pick him that said you probably can hear where I'm going because i said i'm doing a star but i'm not doing those three stars where does that leave us it leaves us with bradley beal It leaves us with the new number three on this team, the new starting guard on this team, and the guy who I just cannot move on from the idea of being just a lot more valuable than I think he's being described as or projected to be. And and I, I use the word valuable on purpose, right? Because do I think that Bradley Beal is going to produce more than he did uh, the season that he was all NBA, 30 points per game? No, I really don't. I don't think that he's even going to get close to that. Do I see a world in which Bradley Beal is potentially more efficient than he's ever been or, or close to? Yeah, I do, and and I also see a world in which Bradley Beal, like his his career high shooting, true shooting percentage, which combines twos, threes, and free throws, is .604. That's great. That is a that like sixty is sort of like you are in you know all star caliber offensive player territory, and he's gotten close the past few years. This past year, fifty nine point three, so right there too. I think he could get even higher. Like if you're talking about 0.610 type thing, 61% true shooting, like I could see that. And I also think defensively, well, I think his turnovers will go down, which is a great way to be more valuable and efficient also. And I think his defense can at least be passable in a Frank Vogel scheme with length and size everywhere and a veteran group that he can execute in better than maybe he did the past few years. Because you look 
early on in his career, he was at least closer to neutral, if not positive in a couple of those seasons from a defensive box plus minus standpoint, which is a catch-all that's not perfect but good enough. I think he can get back in that range on a better team with better personnel and better coaching defensively than he's ever had, although I guess early on those teams were pretty good defensively. So that's where I'm coming from. I've talked about the Ray Allen comparison probably so much that it can be turned into a drinking game on Locked on Suns. Take a shot when I say uh, the Ray Allen comparison or I think he can be a Ray Allen type, whatever. But I believe it, and I, and I think it's true, and, I, and I'm going to keep making that comparison because it's, a, it's, just one, it's as close to one-to-one as you could possibly hope for. It is two guys who had the ball in their hands and then got traded to a super team and had to drastically evolve because they were the, best, the player best suited to that evolution. They were both small guards relative to you know not being point guards. They were small four wings, basically, right? Um, and Beal's even a little bigger than, than Allen, which is nice. But I think you will see Bradley Beal go closer. You know, It's not a coincidence that the same year he had the highest true shooting percentage, as I just mentioned, which was the 2016-17 season, probably the best of his career, that he also had the highest three-point attempt rate and, of course, made a lot of those threes, 40%. I could see that happening again. He averaged 10 three-point attempts per 100 possessions and made 40% of them. You know, that, that type of territory is what I would expect to see from him. And if you're talking about on a better team that's winning more, that's winning his minutes by even more than that team did, and, you know, the defense chips away closer to, to neutral or positive then you're talking about the best season of his career, even in a smaller role, even in a more perimeter-oriented role, and even in a more defensively, uh, at least a role with higher defensive expectations. I also think he has now gotten paid. There is no chasing a contract that's happening here, which I know we say contract year, the guy's going to play hard. I also think, you know, there is a comfort in sacrifice when you have that contract, right? That's kind of the flip side of that coin, and I think we will see it. He has talked about from the very beginning of being here, deferring to Booker, deferring to Durant, pursuing a championship and what that will entail. And I think that there will be a peace of mind in moving on from the the messiness of the Washington situation, having this financial security. He has a family. This is a good place to settle down. He knows he'll be here for the foreseeable future and he can just commit to basketball and whatever this team needs from him and so I think from a mental standpoint it's easy for me to say it's easy for me to just sit here at a computer and say his brain's going to do this and that like it is a person it is always easy to do that until the ball gets tipped off but everything is lining up for this to be Bradley Beal's eye-opening season, the season that makes everybody sort of sit there and say, wow, he can do it in a smaller role. He can commit to the stuff that maybe he hadn't been thought of as previously, and he can be a driving force from the value standpoint in a team that makes a run for a championship, which I think we all agree the Suns have a chance to do this season. That'll wrap us up. More to come throughout the week. We'll close things out with Aaron Edwards on Friday. More as well tomorrow. So keep it right here. Search Locked on Suns wherever you listen to podcasts or just hit that button if you're already here on this feed. You'll get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday throughout the offseason and beyond. Become an everydayer. Get locked on to the Phoenix Suns from here until the end of time. I will catch you guys tomorrow.